Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, I want to thank you for this opportunity, not only to share my story, but my faith journey. And I want to thank you for the great work that Todd's doing here with this show, and that I hope that the many that hear it, it allows more people to be drawn to you. In your name we pray. Amen. In the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. You're listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. Great day today. I have a close friend, a good good soldier for Christ, and a, and a guy that I really have admired throughout my life, uh, Mr. Troy Abair. Welcome to the show, Troy. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you. All right. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm from Lafayette, Louisiana. I'm a real estate broker here in town. I work for a company called Ladder and Bloom, formerly known as Van Eaton and Romero. Um, my wife is actually in the car business hi, like Todd. Hi. Uh, Christy uh, McMath Bear, and um, and I got two wonderful kids. Shout uh, out to Arsenault Ford. Yeah. <laughs> Mia Mia Bear, that's just 16 and Jude Bear, that's 15 and both go to uh, St. Thomas More. Um, actively involved in the community. I've sat on several boards. Recently just came off as uh, U.S. alumni president. Um, I've been president of the Realtor Association. Uh, but some of my most uh, my favorite work these days has been through my involvement with the AX community. I did my AX retreat at St. John's in uh, 2019, and since then, um, it inspired me to get more involved in currently teaming the uh, the most recent one. And my wife's also taken that spiritual journey through AX as well, and um, and using what I'm learning from it to uh, better and deepen my faith with God. Nice. Take us back a little bit. By the way, for those of you Cajun Catholics, I had three girls at STM, and everybody knows STM means send the money, right? I mean, <laughs> you got to send that money. Uh, so take us back to your childhood and kind of where you grew up and what, what is your earliest remember of, of your faith life as you were growing up? So um, I actually grew up in Milton, Louisiana. Um, I lived in Milton till I think I was 13, 14, and moved to Lafayette. Um, my faith journey started actually um, at the age of 11. I, um, I was playing Little League summer ball just like uh, I did every year. And um, I was running for a fly ball in left field. And I, uh, my knee gave out on me. And, um, but, you know, you don't think anything of it. You, you get back up, you grab the ball, you throw it in. And, and then you, you, play through, you play through hurt because you don't want to come out of the game. And I did that for a few weeks, and the knee never really got better. So we decided to go to a local orthopedist. And at that time, uh, an x-ray showed a mass in my right knee. Um, although my parents told me I needed to go and be admitted into the hospital for a biopsy, I had no idea what a biopsy meant. You know that they tell me they thought that um, I had a cancerous tumor. Uh, but eventually that biopsy would turn into proving that it was malignant. And, um, and I would eventually be told uh, that um, I had osteosarcoma and that um, my only chance of survivorship would be having my right leg amputated. Um, a local oncologist named Dr. Kenneth Rainey felt that 
I needed to go somewhere else in St. Jude Children's Research Hospital ended up being where he got us in. Um, at that time, St. Jude's had just opened a solid tumor division. Um, and the outcome for people like me was very slim to, to survive. Um, Were you scared? You know, Todd, it, it, was, it was more surreal than scared. I think it was just, I was just trying to process it. And it's very difficult at 11 to, to hear the words amputation you know, at that time, I don't think you, you, you didn't know a child with an, an amputation. Um, I had an old great uncle, you know, that had lost his leg. And ultimately, that's all I thought, you know, you had to be older. And how, how could someone at 11 uh, lose their leg? Um, I don't think I even really cried much until I got to St. Jude's and they confirmed the surgeon sat in a room with me and my mom and dad and my new physician there and, and basically walked up to me and told me that um, it was a malignant tumor and it needed to, my leg needed to be amputated. And then he kind of drew this imaginary line with his finger over where he would make the incision. And I think right there, that's when um, every emotion that I was holding inside um, came out. And so and I cried, and we all cried in the room, and, and, then, um, and then they took me for the, to be prepped the next day and for the next day's surgery, and, and ultimately um, I woke up the following day uh, with my right leg amputated. I had no idea um, what life would be like. I had no idea how I would walk again. Um, you know, it was just it was a ton of ton of thoughts and questions that just kind of just start running through your mind um, but at times for some reason I, I felt at peace um, my mom was very was very faith-based and she was uh, you know as my grandparents and everyone were and and we started you know obviously spending a lot of time praying um, but Again, I guess the more people were dying than living from what I had. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up happening is they tell me that um, the only way I'm going to beat this is, uh, is taking chemotherapy. Um, Even after the amputation? After the amputation. They said uh, there was a high chance that I, if I would reoccur, I would reoccur in the lungs. And, um, and the best way to prevent that would be to have the chemotherapy. But for some reason, Todd, um, I, was, I was somehow, I just had this conviction of not wanting to take the chemotherapy. And so at 11, I'm questioning a doctor on why do I have to start chemotherapy if there's no tumors in my lungs. And he says, well, you know, maybe we could hold off a little bit, but you know, we'll just kind of watch it, but I, I highly suggest it. So we decided just to kind of wait and see what would happen. And I would go back to St. Jude's every month, and, um, and they would do chest x-rays and body scans and blood work, and then they would say, no, everything looks good. And we kept doing that. And so as we kept doing that, um, I was meeting lots of kids and lots of people that had what I had and I was watching them reoccur 
like uh, um, and then on the chemotherapy and many of them for were were suffering from the chemotherapy uh, had multiple surgeries and um, and didn't weren't making it mm-hmm. and so I just kind of kept saying let's just push it off let's just push it off and then um, in January about six months later of uh, 1983 um, I got the news that um, they found tumor in my my right lung mm. so they were like well you know we immediately need to go to chemotherapy and then I asked what you know again what would be alternative options and they said surgery and I, I asked for the surgery and what age are you at this point I'm still 11 I hadn't turned oh, 12 wow. yet wow. I hadn't turned 12 yet now I, I'm still not under, I still don't know why my parents were kind of rolling with this game with me but over the course of that year I ended up ha- reoccurring several different times and I had five lung operations to remove tumors from my lungs. Um, three times on the right side, two times on the left. And um, by the end of November, they re- removed about the equivalent of a lung. Cool. So I had just spent probably about a month at St. Jude's having back-to-back lung operations and um, through Thanksgiving and all. And I end, they, so the doctor says, listen, this is it. We, we can't remove any more from your lungs. Um, you got to start chemotherapy tomorrow. Your chest is probably f- full of tumors. You know, at that time, I think, I guess today's technology, it's not the case, but at that time, it needed to get to be about the size of a quarter. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, you know, history has shown that you're, you're, you're going to reoccur again. So this is, I guess, where my faith journey really started. I looked at the doctor, and I looked at my dad. It was just the three of us. And I told him, I said, I'm not doing it. And they said, well, you have to. And I said, I've watched people die. I've watched people suffer. I've watched people go through the chemo. I've seen all this. I've lost two friends since I've been here. You know, and then the words came out of my mouth. I said, I'm just going to put it into God's hands. It's it's his will. And um if he sees fit then I'll make it. And if he doesn't, then so be it. I'm at peace. But I don't want to suffer and I don't want to be sick through through the end. And so they were like this is ridiculous. You know, Mr. Abear, you need to step in and my dad, you know, says let me call his mom. So they talk and Ultimately, they decide that um, they would take me home for Christmas. And the discussion would be that I would come back in January. And then when I come back in January, um, I would, it was to start chemotherapy. So we come back in January. Uh, we don't talk much about this, or at least they don't talk much about this with me. I'm sure my parents had endless conversations. Um, but we get there in January and they do a chest X-ray and it shows nothing, and so they say, "Okay, but it's, you know we've been on this road before. You've had times where you we've seen nothing. You you need to start chemotherapy and we need to start tomorrow." And I said, "No, I'm not doing it. Um, I'm going home." And they looked at my dad and my dad just 
and I guess you have to know my father. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, <laughs> you don't tell him what to do, he tells you. <laughs> uh, you know, but uh, for some reason, he just kind of bought in and said, well, let's just give it another month. Let's come back. So we did. And each time, and so the funny thing is, so here we are telling me that, you know, we already know that survivorship of this is not going, is not good. We already know that I've reoccurred, uh, you know, many times. Mm-hmm. And, we all, and we know that the prognosis doesn't look like um, I'm going to make it. And so we come back month after month after month, and my chest is still clear. And the doctors are still pushing chemo, and I keep selling no. I said, I told y'all, you know, this is, this is God's, it's up to, I left it to God. Well, then it just stretched, Todd, from every month nothing to every three months nothing to every six months nothing, and eventually every year visit. And the doctors at St. Jude's have been just, were completely just dumbfounded over the whole scenario. They're like, none of this makes sense. That to, to have what he had reoccur as many times as he had and then and then just totally walk away from the whole treatment process to to somehow never reoccur again. Um and even the doctors were finally saying, you know, I don't it it's just a miracle. To this day, to my best of my knowledge, the last I heard, there's no child that went to St. Jude's had the kind of cancer that I had reoccurred as many times as I did and beat it without one one drop of chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. Remind our listeners, you're listening to the Cajun Catholic Radio Show. Today's guest is Troy Abair. He is the regional vice president of Ladder and Bloom and uh, again, just telling a gripping story about his youth and I uh, want to just let him continue and tell us, you know, uh, what, what was going on behind the scenes on all of that? How did all this happen? How did this happen? So, obviously, you know, the prayer warriors came out, and, um, and we start, and everybody's praying, and, and, um, and, you know, every night, mom would come sit at bed, and we would say our prayers, and, and we would do all the stuff, and we would just ask God to, to be with me through the process. And an interesting story came up where um, I had an uncle and an aunt, who are uh, at Fatima one day, and they learned of um, Charlene Richard, and um, they they came came visit my parents, and they said, you know, we hear there are a lot of miracles happening and a lot of things at her gravesite, and and you know maybe it's just maybe what would it hurt to go? So my mom decided um, we would go on one Saturday and. She didn't even know how to get there. So she called the rectory, and the uh, church gave her directions. And my two grandmothers and my sister and my mom and I got in a car, and we drove to Richard. And Richard seemed so far. <laughs> Before Google Maps, <laughs> yeah. you know, right? I mean, you know, trying to figure out how yeah. to get there. Um, but we do. And I, I, go, I'm, I go there. It was after my amputation, and I was still really trying to learn to walk. In, uh, on the prosthetic so we get there and uh, there's no one there but there's a old blue car 
and there's a gentleman um, at the blue car, and I get out of the car, and we start trying to figure out where her grave is, and and I and I fall, fall straight to my back. So as they're picking me up, this gentleman comes to um, us and says, you know, I guess you know, is he okay? Everything's fine, and and he says, are you, are you here to see little Charlene's grave? And mom says yes, and. He says, um, well, let me show you where it is. So he walks us to it, and we all visit, and we pray. Um, and then as we're walking back, I fall again. And um, and then they, they, everybody's got to pick me up again and, and so forth. So I'm not thinking much of it other than just, you know, it's just my leg, prosthetic, learning. And before we go into the church, because we're headed to the to the church, um, he stops my mom, and he tells her, um, you know, he fell twice today, and Christ only fell, and Christ fell three times to his death, so he didn't fall a third time. You know, your son's going to be okay. He's going to make it. And my mom looks at him and said, "Just she found that to be quite profound, but and she just kind of, well, yeah, you know, you still got a long road ahead, you know." They, and he said, um, "Well, look, I have this book on little Charlene, and I don't know why I, I I got it because I can't read." He said, "But I I want you to just take the book and read it." Well, mom, so she says, "Look, you know, I can't take your book." Uh, he says, no, no, take your book, the book, read it. Gave her his address, um, his name, it's a general delivery address, sunset, and just mail it back to me. So my mom takes this book, and then we go into the rectory and, and uh, the church, and we end up meeting the priest at, at that parish, and he tells us more about Charlene, and we burn candles and pray, and then and then we leave. Um, and that gentleman had left in that blue car as well. So we come, mom decides to drive back straight to the rosary house from there because she wanted these little Charlene prayer cards and they were out of them at the church. So she was going to go see if they had them. And sure enough, as we're walking in the door, there, there's somebody handing out little Charlene prayer cards. So then my mom takes some of these cards and then she goes and she says, look, um, I need, I want to buy this book. Somebody's let me um, borrow this book, but I'd like a copy of it. And it, it was a gold, as my mom describes it, it was a gold hardcover book mm -hmm. with little Charlene's picture on it. So the book, they said, well, we don't have books like that. We only have these gray paperback books. So um, she says, okay, well, let me just buy some of those. And so she says, you sh maybe call the author of the book, and maybe you could find out where to find this gold hardback book. So mom buys a few copies. She takes the hard that comes home. She decides, she decides to mail the book back per the instructions because she now had her own copies. And then later she ends up tracking down the person who wrote the book and said I'd like to find out how to find 
this gold hardback book that with little Charlene on it, your story you wrote. The lady says, we never published a gold hardcover book. And and mom's like, no, I, I had it in my hand. I, I, I mailed it back to the individual and obviously it never came back to me. So she tells the lady the story and uh, they says, you know, say, we've we've never published it. The book that you bought at the Rosary House is the only book we've ever published. Mm. And she said, I guess the only answer is that an angel gave you the book that day. Ain't no doubt. Yeah, when my mother passed away, I was digging through her things. Not, you know, and I couldn't touch them for a long time. And then recently, I kind of dig in that book in that box every once in a while of her religious items. And and we have that book, not the not the hardbound book, but the, the one that you're speaking of. And I keep it next to my bed, and I read it often. And we've had uh, Charlene's brother's been on the show, and um, you know John Dale Reshort, I believe is his name. You can look back at the other episodes. Mary Oz- Ozan, amazing. Charlene Ray short story and of course Father Kale has got an amazing but uh, what a blessing and then and all these years later I don't know about you but I found it kind of funny when I went to axe, my axe retreat that it's right there in Richard I mean how did that happen <laughs> all, all, like I said all roads lead to Richard mm-hmm. um, you know God has an interesting way of testing your faith and putting you in positions um and I think that he, he's tested mine throughout my life. Um, obviously, at that moment, I gave, I gave my, my life to him, and I said it'd be his will. But you know, when you, the more you get separated from those type of events, sometimes you end up taking um, those moments for granted. Mm-hmm. And I think God finds a way to continue to keep testing you in your faith. I mean, he's tested me um, many times. He tested me as a child. Um, he tested me later in life um, when Christy and I had our first our first child was born. She was born with a heart defect that ended up having her airlifted as a as basically a newborn to Tulane. Wow! And for emergency open heart surgery. And um, I remember going by myself down a hallway and just sitting there and asking God why have and I and I kept saying have I not, have I not been through enough and I didn't and I didn't completely understand at that time what you know this was this was just another test of your faith and your ability to to trust in the process and and to and it's and to take something out of your control and give it to him and um, and ultimately, we did that with our daughter, and uh, you know, after four open heart surgeries later in her life, mm-hmm. um, she's a healthy sixteen year old, you know, um, faith based child, and and um, and we owe it all to him as well. And and I just think that that's the lesson that I think we all tend to forget. You know, God's not going to do everything you ask. Mm-hmm. But he's also going to ask you to trust him through the process. Yeah. 
you went to UL, right? Mm-hmm. Or was it USL at the time? Or? USL. I actually got a, a undergrad from USL, and I got my master's from UL. Okay, and and so tell me about Raging Cajun Catholics. Was that something that was a big deal on campus when you were there? Or? I think Raging Cajun Catholics has was there while I was on campus, mm-hmm. but I think it's it's grown and it's much more prominent and prevalent than uh, now over yeah. the years. It's beautiful, and I think it's great. It is. I think it's an amazing job, but they've done it wisdom. It's the best of all of us, you know. When I when I catch mass at lunch at Lent during Lent a lot. And you see those kids, how devout they are. It's so inspiring. Mm-hmm. When people say, oh, the world's going to hell, you know, not so much. Not here in Lafayette, I don't think, you know, not quite so much. No, I I think Lafayette is on fire right now. Um, you know, there's so many programs out there. You know, you have CAST, you have ACTS. Um, and Curcio. And Curcio. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's building a, a faith-based community. Um, uh, you know, for me, I think Axe has just done wonders. Um, I, and um, and then my wife doing it, and the two of us now basically on the on the same journey, the same thought processes, and really and really, I think my even though I gave my life to God at that moment, I still feel deeper in my faith now than I ever have been. Yeah, you know. Um, and a lot of that is just because, you know, that community um, has just done wonders for us. You know, uh, my Friday morning Bible studies, uh, my ability to be with men that um, are faith-based and, and uh, find it cool to be faith-based. Yeah. Um, iron sharpens iron. And uh, it's just been a wonderful ride. Uh, over the last several years, um, being even more immersed in in our uh, in our parish at St. John's. Now, Troy's had a lot of success in his uh, in his business life, and um, and I know you do an awesome job, and y'all's company is is very well respected here in town. Tell me, just a minute, honestly, a minute or two left on the show. What is your greatest accomplishment so far? You feel like in life, why did God spare you, and what's He got in store for you? I think. I think my greatest accomplishment it hasn't necessarily happened yet. Um, I think my story is important, and I think that I think that's why God has got me here now. Mm-hmm. It it's it's to share the message to and hopefully to inspire people. Mm-hmm. You know, um, to live in gratitude. And, and, and to get that point across as, as any way you can. Um, because I always and still to this day feel like I have, I'm, I'm still not really sure why he did what he did for me. But I, but I also continue to feel that um, it's, it's still, um, it's still pe- to be determined you know mm-hmm. but the story i think ultimately is the is the greatest accomplishment in sharing it and hopefully inspiring people and and maybe even bringing people closer to christ at the same time is um is what i'm here for 
I know you've done that. I mean, just uh, an awesome uh, soldier for Christ. And again, we always say, you know, to engage the Cajun Catholic in you, and you've done that in your life, and you're an inspiration to me and to all of us, and it's a blessing to have you in my life. Thank you. And I thank you for sharing your, your story today. Uh, you've been listening to Cajun Catholics. Today's guest is Mr. Troy Abair, and just a, a, a beautiful man and a, and a guy that, I, again, I would ask for your prayers, and I'll be praying for you, and thank you for being here today. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. All right. Time. God bless you. Until next time, God bless.